Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. How amazing. Well, our theme this year is Up and Out, and we've been chatting through the upper room in January and February. We've been talking about going into the quiet places with God, and the purposes of that is so that we can go out, so that we can then go and turn back out again. And this evening, I have this message on my heart that I I know is going to bless you. God's been moving in my heart this week, and it's it's out of two main passages of Scripture, and we're going to start in the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel, where it's talking about David when he's in the wilderness with his men. And, um, and we know the story of David, and King Saul is, is chasing him all the time, and there's a wrestle for the throne. Not that David's ever, you know, causing it, but Saul is so insecure that he's constantly defending his position. And, and, and a part of that is that he's attacking David. And so David finds himself quite often held up in caves and in wilderness areas and, and hiding for his life or, you know, just trying to get away from this crazy king. And 2 Samuel 23, in verse 14, it says, David was then in the stronghold by the garrison of the Philistines near Bethlehem, and, and David had a craving and said, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. And so he's come up now against the Philistines and the enemy army, and it's all going on. One moment he's fighting the, the, the king, the next minute he's fighting the Philistines, and, and he's there, and he's Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And so three mighty men, three of his men, it says, broke through the camp of the Philistines, and they drew water from the well of Bethlehem by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he wouldn't drink it. In fact, he poured it out as a worship offering to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink this. Is it not the same as the blood of the men who risked their lives to get it for me? And so he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out as a love offering, as a worship offering to the Lord. And so when I read this passage, I realize what sort of man David was. Because he was entitled to drink that water. His men had heard his whisper and they had gone in and got the glass of water for him, the cup of water for him, because it was just a desire of his heart. And so wanting to honor their leader, they went and drew this water and brought it to him. And he, being the kind of man that he was, he's like, I can't drink this. These guys risked their lives for me. I'm not actually worthy of drinking this water, but God, I'm going to pour it out as offering to you. And so he poured this water out. And he poured it out as a form of worship to God. And, you know, when I was younger, I sort of thought, oh my gosh, what, like, that's so annoying that these guys risked their lives and he just flippantly poured it out. Like, drink the water. They, they risked their lives, but that was the point. David was like, they risked their lives. I can't drink this water. 
and this heart of a man who is not an entitled spirit, not an entitled posture, but a posture of gratitude and thanksgiving. A posture of, oh my gosh, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly. He poured it out. It's kind of like, you know, I want to tell you, just some of you probably have not experienced this yet, but when you have children, nothing belongs to you anymore. Okay? Nothing belongs to you anymore, all right? You're sitting, it's dinner, and you know, you might have dessert that night. And it doesn't occur to them that they've had their own serve of dessert. Like, that's not, a, not even a factor in their processing. Because suddenly, they're standing next to you, and they're entitled to your dessert as well. That's just the way it goes. It's kind of like, you know, husbands will often say when they get married, what's hers? Well, no, what is it? What's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers? Yeah, that's how it goes. So this kind of approach that all of a sudden, I'm not entitled to anything anymore. And as a parent, I'm no longer entitled to anything I thought I was once entitled to. It's this sense of, I've just got to give it all away. And entitlement says, I deserve this. This is mine. I deserve this. That's what entitlement says. Entitlement is self-seeking and self-oriented and self-gratifying. And entitlement culture, which we live in now, tells us that we have a right to material possessions and comfort and zero problems. It tells us that's what we're entitled to. And that's why this generation has got a terrible concept for suffering, because we're told, no, 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 you're entitled just to have everything served to you on a silver platter with no problems. But I want to tell you that's not the way life goes. And if we have an entitled posture of the soul, we're going to struggle through hardships. Consumerism plays on entitlement. Consumerism plays on it. Advertisements say things like, you deserve it. You deserve it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself. And entitlement is fed every day through social media, internet, music, movies, even politics now. We live in a day where the person with the the soppiest story gets all the attention. The person with the most complaints gets all the attention. And we live in this entitled generation. What about me? It isn't fair. What about you? The moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it ceases to be about us. We live in this entitled generation, and it's the reason we're so sad. It's the reason that we struggle so much. Can I tell you, you'll never keep yourself happy by trying to keep yourself happy. Entitlement impacts our lives in so many negative ways. Brene Brown puts it this way, what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. See, David didn't say, I'm entitled to this cup of water. He saw it as a privilege. As a privilege. If God's called you to something, you're privileged to do that. If God's called you by name and said, hey, I believe in you and I think you should do that, you're not entitled to people patting you on the back. You are in a privileged position. 
If God has called you and he loves you, you, that's a privilege. That's a privilege. David had gratitude for all that God had done for him. And when gratitude reigns in your life, then you instinctively live a life of generosity. You instinctively live a life that's turned outward for the things of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul's at the end of his life, and Paul has lived a remarkable, selfless, sacrificing life. And he's at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, writing a letter to his young protege. And he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. What an awesome thing to be able to say at the end of your life. And so the title of my message tonight is Poured Out. In this day and age, and in fact at any time in history, being poured out has always been an act of the will, not emotion. You will never feel like sacrifice. You will never feel like putting someone else before yourself. And so in all of history, pouring yourself out has been an act of the emotion because some days you'll be tired and some days you won't feel like you're enough. And some days you'll wrestle in your personal Gethsemane. Jesus did. There are going to be times where you're going to wrestle with God and you're going to go, I don't want to do this, God. Is there any other way? If Jesus did it. And I might feel like that from the time. Just stay here and wrestle here until the will of God transcends the wish. You have to stay here until the will of God transcends the will of emotion, the will of thinking, the will of feeling, what's popular. Only then can you stand to your feet and live a life of obedience like Christ modeled for us. And your will comes subject to the will of God. That's when you can pour yourself out. And so we need a generation of holy obedience to the Lord who move beyond what it feels like and what the wrestle in the mind is saying. And they can go, God, because you said, I will. And so we need to pour into people. We look up and we look out. We pour into people. Those people around you, look to the person on your left. Turn to your right. (laughs) We pour out into people. Friendships. And do you know what? Friendships are never neutral. Friendships are always heading in some kind of direction. They're always moving. And genuine friendships move in positive, mutually beneficial directions. An entitled person looks for friends. A kingdom person makes friends. An entitled person looks for friends. It always amuses me when people are like, well, I didn't find any friends in that church. And my response is, did you look under the seats? That's where we keep them. (laughs) You make friends. You make friends. A kingdom person makes friends. They pour into other people. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's how you make friends. Good friends serve each other. In Romans 12, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, giving preference to one another. What does that mean? That means you let other people go before yourself. That means you allow someone else's preferences to go before your own. Another translation says, learn to play second fiddle, which means you're the support, you're the harmony, you're the echo as someone else gets the spotlight. That's what it means. And that's what it means to pour into others, to give ourselves away, to pour into people by serving them. We need to pour into generations. Kingdom people plan for three generations. Entitled people plan for Saturday night. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. A kingdom person plans three generations, but an entitled person plans Saturday night. We need to pour into the generations. This amazing man, David, knew he wasn't going to be the one to build the temple of God, but that didn't stop him. He didn't say, well, if it's not me, then I'm just going to not bother doing anything about it. Instead, what he did is he laid up all the resource so that his son could build it. And what he laid up was in the billions of dollars. His personal wealth contribution, some say, was $1.2 billion that he would never see the fruit of, that he laid up for the next generation to walk in the ways of God, to fulfill the plans of God. What blueprints are you and I going to leave for the next generation? What provision are we going to leave for the next generation? The things that we're not entitled to, that we're going to pour into the ones that we'll never see. To have enough faith that we can go into the next generations. The men and women who mortgage their homes to sit, to build this building. I often say I wish I could see them face to face. If I did, I would thank them from the bottom of my heart for what they built 45 years ago with you in mind. With you in mind, someone mortgaged their home so that you could sit here in February 2023. Someone else who never knew your name, who never saw your face, who had no idea what your story would be but they knew in the spirit, I'm going to do something for him, for her. I'm going to make a space. We've got to pour in to the generations. What we leave for them is so important. And you know, grace, understanding the grace of God destroys entitlement and it brings about honor and gratitude. We need to understand this cup we're drinking from. Mark 14, 23 to 24, in the, mes- in the message. Taking the chalice, Jesus gave it to them, thanking God, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood, the new covenant, poured out for many people. This is the cup we drink from that Jesus poured out for generations. This is the life of Christ that is poured out for us. And when we realize we're drinking from the cup of Christ... We cease being entitled, and we immediately become grateful. The cup you and I get to drink from is the cup of Christ that he poured out for generations. And so we then, in turn, 
pour out for the ones who are coming up behind us. We have to pour out. We have to pour into the Lord. We pour out for people. We pour out for generations. And we pour into the Lord. You can't live of second-hand revelation. You have to pour into the Lord. Abraham Lincoln said, you have to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather was. You have to do your own growing no matter how tall your granddad was. You can't live off someone else's revelation. You need your own story with the Lord. In the book of Job, I want to contrast now these two stories of Job and Abraham, who both poured out great sacrifice to the Lord. We see in the life of Job a man who lost everything. He was the wealthiest man in the region. He had children, he had flocks, he had health and he lost it all. His, all his children died. All of his wealth was destroyed, and then his health was destroyed too. He went from the top of the ladder to the bottom of the ladder. And he says at the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42, when he's talking to God, because he spends 41 chapters with these so-called friends who are actually terrible friends. If you have friends like Job, change your friends. And he spends 41 chapters trying to figure out what's going on with his life and he's trying to say to his friends all the time, no, I'm I'm sure I didn't do anything to deserve this. I love the Lord. He says some amazing things right through his loss. He continues to honor God. He continues to worship God. And he's having this, this discourse with these friends of his and then right at the end, God turns up. And I love the last few chapters of Job. God's like, hey, Job, all right, are you ready to hear from me? And he just puts Job in the most beautiful position of, oh, right. That's right. And Job says this, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. We all have to get to that place where we have our own story with the Lord. We have our own story the Lord with the Lord. Church, I can pay a price for you and you need to know that I do and I am. You need to know that I pray for you, that I fast for you, that I grieve for you, that I cover you with prayer. I can pay a price for you and I do, but at some point you're going to need your own story with the Lord. I can pay a price price for you, I can lead, but you're not worshipping me. And you're not worshipping any other person. And I believe that the Lord is tired of leaders and people who lead others back to themselves. And I'll accept this office that he's given me, but I'm only going to lead you to Jesus because it's the only place I know where to go. And if you follow me, that's where we're going. We're going into Jesus. I'm not pretending to have all your answers because I don't but I know the one who does. Let me take you to him. Let me take you to him. It's the only pilgrimage I know to take. It's the only place 
I instinctively go again and again and again and again. I'll lead you into the only place I know how to get to, and that is Jesus. I, ha- I don't have any other path. I actually don't have any other plan. If you are hoping to join a really, really strategic, like, shiny, flashy movement, you've come to the wrong place. We're all just going to Jesus. We're all just going to Jesus because that's the only place I know where to go. And if God has given me this office, then I guess that's where he wants us all to go. So follow me and we'll go there. But at some point, he's going to ask you for your offering. He's going to ask you to come into him. At some point, he's going to ask you to come to the altar with your costly sacrifice to pour yourself out. That might be tonight. I believe he's calling a generation of people who will voluntarily surrender themselves completely as an offering. I want to tell you a story about a man named Abraham who was promised by God to be the father of God's own nation, Israel. The trick was that Abraham was 100 years old and didn't have any kids. I want to tell you, I've definitely felt that when God said, hey, Carolina, this is what I have for your life. I'm like, did you mean my neighbor? Pretty sure all my circumstances don't stack up to what you've said. And God reiterates the promise over and over and over again. And at the age of 100, (laughs) his wife is 90. Don't go the visuals, it's not good. (laughs) They have a baby. Finally, Abraham's promised son has arrived. Finally, I I I can see it. I can finally see it. And in Genesis 22, verse 1 to 19, it says, And sometime later, they believed that Isaac, Abraham's son, was about 12 or 13 years of age. And sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, Take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. What? I'm a hundred. I've waited all this time. You promised me something, God, and you gave me the greatest gift you've ever given me. And now I can see how the promise makes sense, except what? What? You're asking me to give you the most precious thing I have. There's going to be a time where God is going to invite you to the altar. Verse 3, I love it. It says, early the next morning, not a month later, Immediate. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
And when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about, Mount Moriah. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son's back. Can you imagine carrying the wood for your own sacrifice? And he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. And Isaac spoke up and he said, hey, dad. (laughs) Yes, my son, said Abraham. So the wood and the fire are here, but where's the lamb for the offering? Good question, son. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar. Can you imagine his heart, his broken, aching heart? Have you ever had to build an altar you didn't want to build? He built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Like, yes. Don't lay a hand on the boy, said the Lord. Don't do anything to him. Now I know. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it and as a burnt offering instead of his son. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that because you've done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. But here's my challenge to you. I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes when he was asked. We have the blessing of reading the whole story and knowing that it ends well. He did not. And he still obeyed. Have you ever been asked to give up something that is the most precious thing to you? Has God ever said to you, that thing that you thought was yours, I want it back now. And what do you do when he asks? What do you do when he's asking you to stop making it about you and start making it about the nations? God's wondering whether you're big enough for him to move through. Or are you so shrunken and small that it's just about you and what you're entitled to? We have these two men, Job and Abraham. It turned out peachy for Abraham. Thank goodness. For Job, not so much. 
Not initially. Initially, he did lose everything. He did. At the end of his life, it says that he received double everything. God restored and redeemed everything. He's a good God. My question and my challenge to us tonight is, when there's no guarantee of a return, will you still give what he's asking you to give? Will you pour yourself out completely with no sense of entitlement whatsoever? I've got a little note at the top of my page. Remember, Carolina, entitlement and gratification will not benefit the kingdom. What I'm asking tonight is do you realize he's calling you to be a gateway? For others but you have to be big enough to be a father of nations a mother of nations you have to be big enough for that and tonight I want to open up the altar I'd love for you to stand thank you for listening we pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God go ahead and share it with a friend and can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.